0: So if an accelerator fund is always plan B for a founder, because one, it's it's going to be plan B, not because accelerators are bad or because it's not a good option, but because they cost time and they cost equity, whereas you could go to a fund and get a better deal. Um, So if there's more plan A's, that means there's less um, plan B founders to go to accelerator funds. So you've diluted the quality of the talent pipeline to invest in.
1: Hey everyone, this is Prashant, and I'll be your host for the VC 10X podcast. And today we have Brett Colahong with us. Brett is a general partner at Redbird Ventures, an early stage sector agnostic VC firm. Brett was featured on the Forbes list of 30 under 30 investors. In this episode, we talk about Brett's story and how he started investing, investing theses at Redbird Ventures, why they made a pivot from being an accelerator to a VC firm, why accelerators are plan B for founders, the Midwest startup ecosystem and lots more. So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey Brett, so good to have you on the vc 10 podcast. How are you doing?
0: Good, good.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure having you on. You? Yeah, I'm doing great as well. Uh, awesome. So let's start things off. Can we first have your story and what led you into the investing world? Yeah, I think
0: I have a probably similar and non-traditional path to a lot of people in really early stage venture. Um, I didn't even know what VC was until I was in grad school, uh, which coming from the middle of the country, it's not something that's as widely widely known um, as the coast. Um, but how I got into this was just kind of really through serendipity. I, My first semester in grad school, I, I took a class uh, where the students were managing a fund essentially. and um, post-class, it was the last time they were doing that, so I had money to deploy and the guy that had, uh, started the fund, Bill Turpin asked me to come work with him. And so I did that for nine months and just ended up falling in love with, um, the investing world and kind of did all my research to everything I could to really break into VC and, um, had, had met some of the right people, which opened some of the right doors and here we are today.
1: Absolutely. Uh, that's very interesting. And now you're working at uh, Redbud Ventures uh, as a general partner. So, uh, can you just quickly give us an overview of uh, what your focus there, what are you doing there, and about that stuff?
0: Yeah. So, um, Redbud VC, we're a small team, so it still feels like we're running a startup very much. You know, constantly trying to be scrappy um, as a smaller fund, and what we're really focused on is the earliest stages of supporting founders across North America. So I think there's two ways to put it. It's we invested the idea to early traction stage or incubation to seed, um, investing small checks, 50 to 150 K across North America into. Our thesis is really just around backing amazing founders. So um, because of our thesis on the founding teams, we're, really a true generalist with a few parameters to that. There's a caveat to a few things that we that's hard for us to do. But um, a lot of my day time is spent, you know, networking with founders and supporting our portfolio companies.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing. And what I've learned from my research is that uh, Redbird is a sector agnostic firm that you do not care which sector the company's coming from unless it's uh, within the parameters of what you just mentioned. So uh would love to understand like when you were starting the firm, uh, what led you to having this agnostic focus instead of going on specific focus that you might be interested in. Uh, so we'd love your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. So there's a, a few different reasons. Um, some is from a portfolio con- construction perspective and then some is just our view on, um, how we want to build this fund and the founders we want to back. So when we originally started Redbot, it was called scale VC. And we had started as an accelerator fund and we were running cohorts and occasionally we're starting companies on the studio side. Um, Now from the accelerator perspective, our thesis was completely around backing founders who were strengthened by struggle or, you know, looking to support people, whether they're in middle America or on the coast. And there's some reason, some chip on your shoulder, why you're building that company, why you're going to go through the the hard days of building a startup. I mean, I can go through everything we look for in a founder. A lot of it's pretty much common sense. But um, if our thesis at the earliest days is the driver of that company is the person. And if you're getting in really early, oftentimes that company might pivot. I mean, you can look at a lot of success stories. I mean, Zoom, Slack um, are good examples. You know, weren't even in their specific industry that they are now. So if that's the case, why would we not just back really great founders and not necessarily care about it being more thematic um, as well as kind of spreading our risk across a bunch of different sectors from a portfolio construction perspective Um, because the earliest days it's very hard to have that thematic approach on one or two um, specific industries and historically um, funds who are true generalists have have produced more alpha than thematic funds I think thematic funds are great. There's a lot of pros and cons to being a generalist or a thematic investor. Um, But a lot of the reasons why people are thematic investors is to differentiate themselves and to raise funds because they have a particular network or domain experience in in a space. Um, Now, we don't know every space, but we definitely um, have a network of of people in just about every sector we've invested in that we rely on for um, our own expert research and customer discovery. Um, so that's a, that's a bit why, um, I know it's, it's definitely a, kind of a hot topic in VC.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, uh, would love to learn more of, I think you made a certain pivot from being an accelerator at scale to now I think it's structured as a VC firm. So, uh, what was, uh, what was that something that led you to ma- making this change into how the fund is structured? I uh, would love an insight into that.
0: Yes. I could talk for hours about this. Um, and I know you had mentioned my, in your email, the TechCrunch article I wrote on this. So, yeah, we, we did four, four cohorts through the accelerator, a lot of learnings from that. I wouldn't have changed it. Um, I think it forced us to really build up a support muscle and understand how we work with early stage founders. Um, to a point now, I think we're, we've really hit a stride with how we do that. Now, um, on the cohort side or the accelerator side, so there's... There's a few different dynamics. Um, I think the, the biggest reason is probably the competition in the space now. So if you think of, you know, when YC was started in 2005 as the only accelerator fund where it cost quite a bit of money, let's call it a half a million dollars to start a tech company and uh, remote talent or overseas remote talent um, was a little bit harder to come by as well as network effects were somewhat of a black box. Um, so now it's, you have thousands of VC funds, a lot of those being emerging funds that invest very early now, because of this competition, it really forces a lot of investors to keep coming up with new ways to differentiate themselves and win deals and get into rounds. Um, So they start offering more services. So because all these funds are now offering their own services, it starts diluting the value of accelerator funds and already. There is more, um, more capital in the market. So if an accelerator fund is always plan B for a founder, because one, it's, it's going to be plan B, not because accelerators are bad or because it's not a good option, but because they cost time and they cost equity. Whereas you could go to a fund and get a better deal. Um, so if there's more plan A's, that means there's less um, plan B founders to go to accelerator funds. So you've diluted the quality of the talent pipeline to invest in. And so, if you, you know, we just saw like how hard it was to try to, there was almost like a sales cycle to bring founders into what we were trying to build. And it's like, you know, if our product is capital plus support, why are we making this such a painful experience to work with these founders? Um, And we have a lot of good things to offer, but it's more about how do we market ourselves? So I changed the messaging mid May, um, removed Accelerator from our website because the Accelerator has somewhat of a bad taste in some people's mouth. Maybe it's been somewhat, maybe some people are somewhat jaded by it. You know, you've seen some of these things like new chip getting sued by a bunch of founders and then people not having good experiences because um, there's so many accelerators. Now there's too many mentors where the insights start to not be filtered. So you start getting all this insights that might not be good. So people had a bad experience with accelerators. So it's like we remove that branding, just kind of tested, see like, you know what is the response from founders and the conversion rate just on outbound or like people wanting to work with us just went through the roof. Um so we officially decided to make that change earlier in the summer. And since then it's um it's been an incredible decision. And you know I, I think accelerators, there's still a position for them in the markets. But if the quality of the pipeline for accelerators has diminished now, we still need accelerators to support a lot of founders, you know, maybe first-time founders or founders who are a little bit more green, who might need a little extra hand-holding, but as a capital allocator, I don't necessarily know if the best decision is only investing in people who need extra hand-holding. Um, so, if you look at a lot of the returns, and this is in that article that I wrote, PitchBook did a study on some of the top accelerators, here so you have YC, Techstars, 500 um, startups, and... I'm blanking on the last one. But anyways, YC had consistent re- returns from unicorn. So between 2011 and 2016, they like five and a half percent hit rate. Crazy. Between 2017 and 21, it was like three and a half percent. So a five-year period versus a 10-year period, but still you can see that they're on the same trajectory to hit those uni- that unicorn hit rate. Now the other funds were about 1% during that 10-year time period and zero in the five-year time period. So you just see like returns drop. Um, now, this is a small data point, but it's just a testament to that YC, yes, could probably still be around because what they've done, that all that really matters at the end of the day is they've created um, the largest vehicle for generating network effects for founders. And if that's what it really is important and boils down to the end of the day, why don't we just focus on that? And so that's what we've been doing, is working on introducing founders and then, um my partners in the fund have built a company called equipment share. So and equipment share is now um, a unicorn is a top 25 YC company. They have roughly 5,000 employees. So they have a ton of insights from raising billions of dollars in capital and hiring thousands of people. And so we can bring those filtered um, insights as well. So it's like, let's break down the barriers, make this easy to, to back founders. We can still invest the same stage, which is like, we can either invest first friends and family around like incubation stage, or we can invest directly in like pre-seed rounds. And if founders want support, this is great. We have a vehicle to support them. If not, we're just gonna give them our investment and um, have an opportunity to back an amazing founder. So that's a very long-winded answer and it's still kind of shortened down, but um, the the main reason why that we have changed our model.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a very interesting point uh, that you mentioned there. Uh, I think it can be certainly be debated across in the industry, but uh, So uh, are you suggesting that uh, accelerators are one plan B for most startups? Is that what you're suggesting? Or are you suggesting that the best founders are not considering uh, accelerators? Or are you suggesting that maybe this is very monopolized by YC, Techstars, and just two, three accelerators that the rest of the accelerators are not getting that good chunk of quality deals? Which one do you think? the most prominent here so um
0: it's very risky to invest the accelerator stage because generally speaking you're going to be investing in like the first time founder or the young founder or somebody who, who lacks experience so in order to diversify that portfolio you need to invest in like 100 companies so you need to have a pretty sizable fund so for us, our, our funds aren't necessarily big enough to deploy into 100 companies. We do about 35, which if you're doing traditional venture, so 30 to 40 range is what's generally suggested for trying to play the parallel. Now, um, I say it's a plan B. Um, I wouldn't say that people directly say that, but let's say that if you put yourself into a founder's shoes, all right, and you want to go out and raise a pre-seed ground, and let's say you've, you've built an MVP and it's like, man, like I, I need to start paying myself a little bit of funding. So I'm not just, you know, on the verge of being homeless. Um, if you don't come from like a successful, like you have a lot of money saved up. Um, and you need to start hiring some, some more technical talent to build the products start onboarding customers have customers, you know, you, you have, there's reason to raise funding. So if you need to raise a million bucks, as you said, why would you go to an accelerator and you know, take in a hundred, two hundred k, and then have to do some programming, and that take, pulls you out of your startup, as well as take a super low valuation. So say like one to two million, when you could go raise a million bucks. It, let's just say the market's paying somewhere between four to eight million post money um, for a pre-seed company. And if 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 you're a if you're a founder with a with a strong background, you probably get even higher than that. So you know why would you're you're trading a lot of equity and time in your company, so it would always be well, duh. I would want to go take money from a fund, unless unless there was like something with like network effects you wanted to get from that particular accelerator. But oftentimes, um, I mean, a lot of these VC funds have just as good network effects, um, or or close to it. It's going to be a little bit more honed in because they're not you know YC's bringing in like two, three, four hundred companies at a time, um, so. Indirectly, I guess, directly saying, yes, accelerators would be plan B for most founders, unless you just had no idea what to go next. And if you didn't know the next step to take in your startup, you're probably not getting funding from a VC fund yet. So, um, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, sure does, sure does. I think that's uh, that's certainly a good argument that in case that's a high quality founder and VCs are willing to back them and they, they know the game, they know how to play then uh, certainly then they maybe would not consider an accelerator because the terms would be one, too expensive for them. And two, they know how to play the game. They do not want someone to tell them. So that can be another reason. So yeah, that's, that's a fair reason to go the VC way. Uh, great. We still do the same, like we'll still do investments at the
0: same stage as an accelerator or founders who are really early stage. Um, it's just a different dynamic. For them how we work with them now and how we've structured it um so yeah i mean I, I think there's still a ton of opportunity there it's just i guess how you portray yourself it's like graylock just came out with their own idea staged yeah program i mean it's basically an accelerator they don't call it an accelerator because of the branding of that accelerator and a lot of funds are doing this you know sequoia has their own program a16z has their own pair vc has their own like it's it's happening like it's gonna be really tough for, for uh, some of these just accelerators to to build over the next 10 years.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I see that happening, uh, certainly. And in India as well, like there are, Secure has its different programs, which are actually accelerators. It's called Surge, uh, where you can get in, founders can get in their cohorts, and that system is there, uh, but they're mostly perceived as a fund, VC fund. so, And it's, it's a big brand name, so I think <laughs> that helps them in getting those founders in uh awesome awesome so uh, uh at the at redbud venture so firstly i'd be interested to learn uh how you came up with the name redbud ventures is it related to something yeah so um redbud vc
0: is the name and it's you know we went through a lot of name iterations it is not fun I'm trying to name um a vc right now because all of the names have pretty much been taken because there's so many funds out. Um, Anyways, but we were really trying to do something that went back to our roots here in Missouri. Um, There's not a lot of funds in Missouri, so what can we build a brand around so that people remember us and they're like, wow, that's the only fund in Columbia, Missouri. So a redbud tree is a native tree to Missouri. It's not the state tree, but it is a native tree to Missouri, and it's a tree that can withstand any weather climate. So it takes us back to our roots in Missouri, plus the kind of founders we like to back. Perfect name for us. And it's somewhat unique. I I feel like it's a name that people would remember. Um, now it can be, depending on you know, we did some of our own discovery with this, and it's um, it can be referenced for other things. Like some people might initially think Redbud is like a cannabis shop, um, but anyways, I I've definitely fallen in love with the name since we picked it. So
1: yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, I figured it it has to be somewhat related to the region that you're based out of. Uh so that's amazing. Awesome. So I, I believe you are three partners at Redbird, uh and from three kind of different and complementary backgrounds. So we'd love to understand what are uh the partner roles and how do you separate them and distribute among partners. Yeah,
0: so um I'm the only full time partner, so full time general partner here. And I've got the two brothers who had started Equipment Share and Scale, or now Redbud was actually their idea. Um, so, Willie's involvement is really more of like a focus partner. And so, he's, he's involved in the, inve- the bottom of the investment pipeline with the fund. And then, he's involved in supporting our founders. I run the fund, I have an associate that works for, for us. And so, I do all the sourcing, kind of building up our brand a lot of portfolio support. Um, we do a lot of like side things as well, like we're working with the University of Missouri to build a venture studio for, for student-led ventures and then hopefully in the future we can expand that to alumni. And so we're building a community there for that. Um, and we've also got the Fly Tech community. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's, it's a lot of, it's a very large, um, heavily weighted on like a community approach to how we've been building this. Um, do a lot of events as well we run the Missouri startup weekend here um, working on planning another event too that we'll run in the fall of every year um, so yeah that's a little bit on the breakdown
1: yeah sure uh, and uh, you just mentioned flyover tech and i think that's a community you started last year so can you tell us more about it and what uh, is the goal with that what are you trying to accomplish there
0: yep so flower tech which we're actually <laughs> rebranding that to the junction um uh, but Flavor Tech originally started, uh, I just noticed, you know, there's a lot of decent communities in Flavor areas. So you've Columbia, Missouri, St. Louis, Chicago, Columbus, Ohio. And these communities are somewhat connected, but not in a way, on an ongoing basis, or not in a basis where it's like there's this flyover Uh, or network effects that are continuously going where you have a flywheel Uh, people supporting each other across ecosystems and there's never going to be an opportunity for middle of the country to be like a Silicon Valley or New York City because we just don't have large metro areas like that that are dense enough because it's so fragmented so the only way to build communities or a single community similar to that is to kind of connect everybody. So you have all these different nodes across the ecosystem. And so the flyover tech, which will now be the junction uh, coming up soon. Um, I had started really to connect investors, founders, talent, um, service providers, people who want to support entrepreneurs or join companies across all these different ecosystems. Um, and I literally just put together a Slack channel and then started inviting some people, made one LinkedIn post about it and boom, we had a few hundred members. And I've had people who raised their first round of funding, found their first engineer hires, found their advisors, made found their first customers on the platform. And it's pretty hands off. Like I don't have to like run like a Slack channel. Really it's, you know, everybody that joins gets access to this director of people that they can go access. Um, I mean, they can say, "Hey, well, you know, we're part of the Flyover Tech community," and it increases the conversion of like actually getting a response from somebody in the community who otherwise wouldn't have maybe responded to you. Um, and so it's it's been really great to see, and I've had a lot of people, you know, send us testimonials without even asking. And yeah, it's been fun, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And uh, you mentioned about the, the thesis at at Redbird, that how you look at uh, companies and the major factor being uh, founders strengthened by struggle, right? That's what I got. Uh, So how do you evaluate that, that who is strengthened by struggle? How do you look at those struggles? Uh, And what are those kind of struggles that you're looking for? And and, uh, in what fashion did they overcome that? And if you could give some examples of someone your back, that what were those kind of struggles that you saw them, saw them facing and how they overcame that uh, would be amazing.
0: Yeah. So um, it's definitely hard to, test for authenticity at first. Um, I think an advantage that we have is when we're looking at people, uh, you know, my partners have hired probably 10,000 people over the last eight years. And a lot of that comes through personality profiling and really understanding people and taking the data from that um, to make good hiring decisions, not just on the company level, but on the specific teams they are putting them into and then building a culture with those people. Um, so we have a lot of insights or pattern recognition with picking people, not necessarily just making investments, but picking people and understanding where they fit within an organization. So that definitely helps us to immediately, um, kind of filter through people who could be outliers. Um, an example of somebody who's had a chip on their shoulder that we invested in, um, there's one that was an immigrant founder came over to the U.S. when they were a teenager by themselves. Um, got into some of the top universities, um, ended up winning a bunch of awards for what they were doing in their career and ended up starting a company. Now, when we had first invested in them, there was definitely a bit of an uh, English barrier. So they actually were taking speech classes um, during the cohort that we were running. And we didn't even know it till the end, they told us that they were taking speech classes. And so they had an extremely hard time um, communicating with investors and it it doesn't matter, you know, they struggled to raise funding, but to this day they've been extremely successful and they've really outperformed probably a lot of investors' expectations. Um, That's an example of somebody with a chip on their shoulder. Or it could be, you know, somebody coming from the middle of the country that, you know, has never been had access to venture capital, or even understood what it was, and just has an idea to build a company, um, but displays the qualities of being a really good founder, you know, scrappy, hustler, would literally do anything, would die before they gave up building their company. Um, and so we, we definitely look for some of those people, but
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned like one of the areas that you focus on is the Midwest or the Flyover areas, right? Uh, so, uh, how do you see the startup ecosystem shaping up? Uh, I, you just mentioned the challenge of there are not like huge clusters of these startups being at one place or big metros there. So, how is it managed, and how do they come together and forge a community? One way can be, of course, on the internet. They can come together like the community that you're running. Uh, but uh, we'll have to learn how that ecosystem is shaping up and how the people are coming together and helping each other out.
0: Yeah, so I think um, the ecosystems in the Midwest are probably, I don't know, 10 to 20 years behind the coast. Um, and I think we're just now starting to see a lot of heightened activity. now historically because there's been a lack of capital here you have talent leaving and going it's a similar same thing in like canada it's like people leaving and going to san francisco or new york city because they don't think that they can um carry out their dreams of building their particular business where they're located there's a lot of good qualities about the midwest and what we have now is a lot of people who have displayed hey, you can found a company in the Midwest and keep the company here and not have to move to where most of the capital is. Okay, so now now that you have some of those case studies and some of this track record in the Midwest, um, these people that founded these successful companies are now starting to, the ones who have a little bit more of, uh, I guess, um, altruistic capitalism mindset are now, Um, starting to give back their time and capital to supporting a lot of the ecosystem here Um, which is what's happened in the Bay Area is you had some early companies that were really successful back in like the 90s and early 2000s and then the capital gets recycled from them back into the community and funds raise more funding and then you just have all this everything just starts growing and so you're starting to see that on a smaller scale here and Um, There's a lot of great people, I think, that are um, taking advantage of some of these heightened opportunities um, because you definitely, I I think a lot of people in the Midwest um, are much, definitely don't like risk as much and um, like sticking to their nine to five job. You know, they, they live a very Midwestern life. And so you need people to really champion this mindset with the coast has. It's like you're going to work your butt off and you're going to work 12 hours, 15 hours a day and you're really going to champion a lot of um, efforts across the ecosystem and not just do the bare minimum or what you're used to doing. And so you're starting to see more people come out and do things like that and run organizations in that fashion. so I think over the next five years, you're going to see a lot more activity in the Midwest. Um, more there's more funds being raised here. There's one of the big things that the Midwest struggled with was growth capital, and there's starting to be some pretty good funds raise, larger uh, funds for for growth capital for startups based in the Midwest. And so I think it's exciting times to be in the middle of the country.
1: Absolutely, totally agree. Uh, awesome. So now coming to my last main question before, before you go for the rapid fire round uh, and this one is about portfolio construction. So Redbird being with generalist firm, uh, how do you think about portfolio construct- construction and what all components do you need to be there and how are you thinking about fall on rounds? Yeah. yeah. So
0: right now our portfolio construction, we're looking to invest in about 35 companies out of this fund. Um, we don't have a, a mandate around ownership targets but there's definitely some mindfulness with an ownership target and an, an example why is so we have a five million dollar fund okay and a top quartile fund is you know 3xing so we need to we need to you know turn that fund into 15 million dollars um, and if we expect that the power law now this isn't you're gonna have some base hits second base hits third base hits but let's just say if you're focused on the power law and you're going to have one serious outlier company that could return the fund or more. Uh, if you want a three x a fund with one company and let's say, you know, we invested hundred K for, for uh, let's say, call it two, 2% of a company, um, that's going to get diluted by like 70%. So say like we own like three quarters of a percent by the time they exit. So you'd have to do 15 million divided by, you know three-quarters of a percent so that's I don't know what is that like two billion dollars or something so like that's the expectation is like we have and that's why founder or investors are so um, I guess focused on what is the market opportunity for this company is because they have to be able to say like you know we invested and this is why this is the the market the exit opportunity um, so we definitely play the power law and based on the fund size right now, we want more shots on goal to hit that 30 to 40 number in companies. So we don't save any money for follow ons at the moment. Um, in addition to that, it's if the stage that we're investing at, that is so early, even two years later, there's really not, there's been some de-risking involved. But not enough that we would want to put, you know, 5% of our fund into one company or have our fund very focused on one company just because it's going to be years, you know, four or five years before and our deployment period is only three years. So we wouldn't even be able to uh, really do any follow ons. Um, so right now it's getting it's getting really good and focusing on those first shots on goal as opposed to trying to track companies and deploy them into specific ones out of the portfolio. Um, and I would imagine we probably have that same approach. We raise a bigger fund next. Um, I don't think you start doing follow-on capitals until you have a pretty large fund, um, hundred million plus. And at that point, you know, as you grow the fund too, the expected returns start going down uh, because you have more capital to deploy. And so right now we're just we're really focused on being an outlier and producing as much alpha as possible to our LPs.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great approach. And now let's do the rapid fire round, wherein I'll ask you five quick questions about the fund and you have to get five quick answers. Sounds good? Sounds good. Awesome. Uh, so the first one goes, what are the sectors and regions you invest in?
0: North America, um, primarily have been across the U.S., but we definitely look at Canadian companies.
1: Great. And what's the typical stage of investment?
0: Uh, stage is pre-seed or earlier. Um, occasionally do seed. So... But mostly focus on the incubation first investor in the in the company to a pre round.
1: Great. And what's the typical check size you put in?
0: Average is 100. Uh, check size range is 50 to 200. Great.
1: Uh, where can founders apply for funding in case there is a direct way?
0: Yeah, go to our website at redbud.vc and fill out our pitch us form.
1: Great. Uh, last one. Where can our listeners follow you?
0: Yeah, you can email me at brett at redbud.vc. Follow me on Twitter at bretttcalhoun or LinkedIn at brettcalhoun.
1: Awesome. I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes below. Thanks so much for coming on, Brett. It was uh, really insightful talking to you uh, and learning about the Midwest ecosystem, about how VCs are somewhat better in terms of deal flow for accelerators and stuff around that. Thanks for your insights and happy investing. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you.